0: Joshua chapter 24, we finish up tonight verses 14 through 33 in a study entitled The Legacy of Devotion. And I want to begin tonight by asking you a simple question. One that I think is important to all of us. It's certainly important, to really to all of mankind, but it's very important to the body of Christ. And that question is, what kind of legacy will you leave? At the end of your days, When you are finally finished here on earth, when the Lord pulls your ticket, when He punches you out, when your time is done, when that very last breath is taken, what is it that you will leave behind? What kind of legacy will you leave? The book of Joshua ends with the legacy of devotion. A single man. And as we look at these last few verses, of course there's some key words in it, but probably the largest of them is to serve. And that word is used some 15 times, and it's used both in the positive context and the negative context. And I think it's very, very, very important that as we begin, you realize that you were created actually by God, To worship. You were created for devotion. You were created to serve. The question then becomes, where will your devotion lie? Who will you worship? And who will you serve? Because that actually will become ultimately your legacy. It's what you'll leave behind. Can't take all this stuff with you, amen? Nor would we want to, amen? I don't know about you, there's nothing really here worth keeping. But you can leave behind a legacy. And when we use that word, we generally talk about it in the context of perhaps money or fame or power, or perhaps some business enterprise, something like that you can look back on and wow, the legacy of John D. Rockefeller. The legacy of the Roosevelt family. Think about the legacy of those two families. Perhaps the legacy of a president. But every last one of us here tonight is going to leave some lasting legacy. Maybe it's going to be in the heart of one person. Maybe it will be that one single solitary person that you have somehow been used of the Lord to work in their life, that you have an opportunity to leave behind a legacy. doesn't matter whether you're married or single, have children or don't, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, every last one of us will leave behind a legacy. And unfortunately for some, it won't be a positive one. It may be a negative one. And so tonight as we finish up the book of of Joshua, this amazing finality uh, to what Joshua is going to say and then he's going to be taken home to the Lord. Because if I really look at it, I think a lot of people misunderstand the method, misunderstand the motivation. How do we serve? Why do we serve? And and our service is not simply an obligation, because some people look at serving the Lord as an obligation. God saved us, so I'm, I'm obliged to serve him. That's not true. You can do anything you want. God left you with free will. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. In whatever way God has for you, it doesn't have to all be the same. And it's also not an option to serve the Lord as the body of Christ, as believers in Jesus. It is a mandatory part of our walk while we're here on this earth. We are to serve the Lord. You have been bought and paid for with a price. That price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. It is no longer, Paul said, I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life that I now live, I live unto him. We are servants of the Most High God. So it's not optional. It is also a privilege to undertake. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time tonight. Thank you for this wonderful book. Or this amazing book that has taught us so much about godly character and perseverance and battling hard and being strong and courageous. Never giving up and watching you work through our failures, God, all these things that we've learned. And we pray tonight that you would take these last few verses of this wonderful book and teach us something fresh and something new. Lord, we love you and we want to serve you. We want to fear you. We want to obey you. We want to worship you. Lord, we want our lives to be marked and for us to leave a legacy of devotion to the God who saved us. God, help us to hear that tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as this final section opens and begins, really the question becomes for us, really, who will you serve? It's a simple question. Service means to love God. Service means to fix your heart on Him. Service means to obey Him because you want to, not because you have to. And so service and worship become, then, inseparable truths. Do you understand that? You don't just serve the Lord because He's King of the universe. You don't serve the Lord because He could barbecue you. You don't serve the Lord because He... Alone in the heavens is omniscient and omnipotent. We serve the Lord because we love the Lord. And because we love the Lord, we worship the Lord. And so service and worship are linked together. Can I tell you one of the great pains in my own personal life is people who substitute service for devotion. Service for worship. They, they serve the Lord, not because they love the Lord. They serve the Lord out of obligation. Because they think maybe they're going to get something. They serve the Lord maybe because they think other people are going to see Him. They serve the Lord because it's the right thing to do in church service should be attached to worship because he is our God and we are his people we should serve him because we love him with the whole heart his compassions fail not his mercies are new every morning his goodness has drawn men to repentance you understand what I'm saying we worship him because of who he is and because of that the outflow of my heart because God, I I just want to serve you because I love you. I wouldn't do anything else. Most of us would find it rather appalling if we found out that either our spouses or our children did things for us simply because they feared us. Amen? Wouldn't that be kind of a bummer? You wake up in the morning and your wife goes, well, here's your breakfast. And the look on her face, or your husband comes in, here's your coffee. And the look on the face says, Because I'm scared to death that you're going to kill me. Don't do that to God. Serve Him because you love Him. Verse 14 this one basic decision, you'll see it very clearly. And now therefore, fear the Lord. Of course, fearing the Lord is part of worshiping Him. We need to recognize who He is. But that's not the method, and that's not the motivation. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is perhaps the most popular doormat verse on earth. I think we have two of them. I don't know. At our, I know we have one. We have Actually, we have two. We've got it on the doorpost of our house, and we have it as a floor mat as well. I think I have a coffee mug. We've got it inside. We have it all over our house. Because it's a truth. It's who we are. Maybe you guys have the same doormat. We've got one at the high school room, in fact, now that I think about it. As for me and my house, do you see the one decision? Because there are other gods you can serve. Amen? Now, when this passage was written, they literally believed there were other gods, little g. And I want to run through some of those in a moment. Verse 16 goes on to say, And so the people answered and said, Far be it from us. In other words, they said, No way! Not going to happen! We wouldn't even think of that. That we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. I want you to keep that in your mind because we're going to move to the book of Judges briefly here in just a little bit. Far be it. But if your service is not out of worship and for a devotional life, I guarantee you, you will do exactly what the Israelites did. If you serve the Lord out of fear, if you serve the Lord out of obligation, if you serve the Lord because your mom and dad told you to, if you serve the Lord because someone somewhere said, if you don't, you're going to get fried, if you serve the Lord for any other reason, you will not pass down a legacy of devotion to your children and to their children's children. You'll pass down a legacy of fear. You'll pass down a legacy of sin. You'll pass down a legacy of just about anything and everything else. But you will not pass down a legacy of devotion if your heart is not right. And so the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve the other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us out and our fathers up and out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went among all the people through whom we passed and the Lord drove out from before us all the people including the Aborites who dwelt in this land. We also will serve the Lord for He is our God. Do you see the force with which they are saying this? And why? They recognize fully and completely, what God had done. And the book of Joshua is filled with it. Amen? Time after time, God does the work. He brings them into the land. He makes them victorious. He even cleans up their messes like at AI. Amen? And we can already see the beginnings of the unfaithful few. Those who are serving the Lord for the wrong reason. Because they did not drive out all the Amorites. Amen? They didn't drive out all the Girgashites either. They left some of them in the land. God had said, Look, Get rid of all of them. They didn't do it. That little tinge is going to come back to bite them. That little bit of leaven that leavens the whole lump will come back to bite you every time. Every time. Sin must be dealt with decisively. You can't play with it. You can't mess around with it. There's no such thing as an acceptable amount of it in our lives as believers. If you leave a little bit of it, it takes root, it grows into a bush, it throws off some seed, and before you know it, you've got a sin grove. Go by our house, you'll see that we have aspen, aspen trees in our front yard now. We've got running springs, only aspen grove. I only planted one tree. That one tree is now about almost eight inches in diameter, and there's another 30 or 40 aspen trees. Because they throw out rhizomes and they spread in the root system and then, boop, they pop up everywhere. So I go and I clip them and, you know, I kind of thin it out and I'm grooming my forest. But sin's like that. It kind of travels under the... And I like my tree, so I'm kind of having a tough time calling them sin right now. But for the sake of an example, that one tree spreads its roots out. You can't see where it's going. And all of a sudden... Up in my upper lawn, I've got an aspen tree. If you don't deal decisively with it, if you do not cut it off at the root, it will keep growing. And that's the picture here. That one basic decision. You see, we all have choices. Now, we don't think of gods. Probably none of you have a little, you know, Ashtaroth pole in your living room. I doubt you have an altar to Baal. I'm pretty sure none of you have Molech in your living room with its bronzed arms with glowing heat on it. I'm virtually certain that's the case. I doubt very seriously most of you have a nice fat bellied Buddha in your living room, or, you know, you're probably not doing that kind of stuff. But can I tell you, worship... And your heart cannot be separated. Where your heart is, that's where your worship will go. And if your heart is inclined towards anything other than God, and there's a lot of things your heart can be inclined towards. How many people worship themselves in our world? Amen? Don't we live in probably the most narcissistic time in human history? The worship of self is huge. I think for a lot of people, their God is them. Maybe it's the world. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's fame. It could be money. Maybe it's some sinful behavior, an outlet of your flesh. Maybe it's the enemy, the devil. Scripture kind of divides it up, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And in those three categories, pretty much everything falls. They're in 1 John. But you you see, what can become a God can be things like recreation. Sports, ATVing, RVing, skiing, all those things can become God's to us. Dave Hall and I had a laugh some years ago. He told me that they used to worship at the First Church of Snow Valley. They just kind of stopped going to church and they started going skiing instead. It wasn't intentional. It crept in and pretty soon worship was not given to God Worship was given at the ticket window. Now, nothing wrong with those things, by the way. I want to make sure I don't want to put anybody in bondage tonight. You got an RV? Praise God. Got an ATV? Praise God. You got boats? Praise God. But if that becomes a substitute for the true and the living God, there's something seriously wrong with where your heart's at. If you can stop going to church, if you can stop praying and stop reading your Bible and stop instructing your kids in the wonders of the Lord, if you can stop being loving and kind and gentle and all you're about is something else, then I would say to you, your worship has shifted and your service will go with it. And before you know it, you're going to serve that false god. How many people serve the false god of bitterness, or unforgiveness, or anger, or hate? How many people worship at the altar of all those excuses? You see, it's easy. How many people worship worry to some degree? I think there's been times in my own life when I've worshipped the god of worry. Concern myself with everything so much that I can't see the goodness of our God. And so be careful as you read this first passage. The decision is a simple, basic decision. Who will you serve? What will you serve? Because the what automatically goes with the who. Because if the who isn't God, the what becomes part of the other God that you can worship, and that's the world and the flesh and the devil. You see, we don't always think that there's another who, but there is another who, because your Bible says that this world is Satan's system. And so you're either worshiping and serving the true and the living God, or you're worshiping and serving some portion of The enemy. Sounds harsh, but it's absolutely true. Why do I know that? Because Jesus said it. You see, Jacob here is giving us a warning. He gave the same thing to his family back in Genesis chapter 35. He warned them then, serve the Lord. Samuel did the same thing. Same admonition, serve the Lord. And Joshua wasn't suggesting that you should serve anything else. He's simply saying, you have to make the decision. There couldn't be any half-hearted neutrality. You can't be kind of in and out. You see, we're incurably religious. You ever wondered why that is? That a vast majority, and I mean a vast majority, more than 90%, Of all people on the entire earth, that currently would be over 6 billion people, believe in some form of higher power. Some God. And they worship that some God. In some way. For Buddhists, it's Buddha. For Hindus, it's Krishna or Vishnu. For Muslims, it's Allah. Not Jehovah Yahweh God, by the way. Allah. For us as Christians, it's the one true and living God. But most of us on this planet are incurably religious. Can I remind you that God is a very jealous God? Matter of fact, the Ten Commandments tell us so. You shall not make for yourself any graven or carved image, any likeness of anything that's in heaven or on the earth, that is the water under the earth. You shall not bow down and serve them. It's pretty clear, isn't it? It's one of the Ten Commandments. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, to the third, the fourth generations of them that hate me, but showing mercy to the thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You get the picture? That ingrained in the very first set of biblical laws, if you will, was, you gotta choose. You gotta make the one decision. What kind of legacy are you gonna leave? Being a very wise and very spiritual man? Absolutely, Joshua knew this. It's right here. It's in our hearts. That's why there's so many religions on the, you know, all over the world. People worship crazy stuff. we got people that worship trees. We have people that worship... There's a whole religious order of worshiping cats. Now, that's Satanism as far as I'm concerned. I don't even like cats, much less want to worship them. Some people worship their pets. Amen? you bumped into those people? I have. I've bumped into people who think their animals are the same as human beings. You all know I love my dogs. Come over. You'll see it firsthand. They're spoiled rotten. There's, love my dogs, but I don't love them like people comes between my children and my dogs, the dogs go. It's easy. It's not flippant. It's a matter of one created in the image of God and one created as an animal for our enjoyment. Who do you worship? Do you worship the God that's the creator or the animal he created? You get the picture? Read Romans 1 if you don't get the picture. And God gave them over to a debased mind so that they would worship the creation rather than the creator. Everybody worships. Question is who? You can't do both and you can't worship two. Matthew there, chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus' words. No man, not a single man, Nobody, not any individual on this planet, can serve two masters. Jesus said, you'll love one, hate the other, hate the one, love the other. You can't be loyal to one, despise. you'll have to despise the other. You cannot serve God, and in that case, mammon. You can't serve God money, possessions. Now, if Jesus said that, what do you think? may be true and he's using the same word translated serve here and it is directly attached to devotion to the Lord that's the reason he used the term master and so as the Lord delivers the people out of Egypt he brought them through the wilderness he's taken them into the promised land they should have recognized this is God we worship And these are our neighbors. This is God we worship, and this is Bessie the cow. This is God whom we worship. This is the land that we love. This is God that we worship, and these are people who we love. This is God. Make a choice. Who are you going to serve? And God was looking, of course, for total devotion. He wasn't looking for half-hearted devotion. He wasn't looking for kind of sort of devotion. When I say things like, you can't be a, a, a partial Christian. I invariably get some type of comment from somebody, whether it's in person or on the internet or in some note. What I'm trying to say is, you're in or you're out. I'm not trying to say there aren't people looking for the Lord. We call those people those who are seeking. Those who seek will find if they seek him with their whole heart. Amen? That's what Scripture says. But it says if you seek him with your whole heart, not with half of your heart, part of your heart, keep your sin, and try and keep the Lord too. Jesus said you can't do that. You can't be part in you got to be all in. Does that mean you'll be perfect? Heavens, no. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You're going to stub your toe in Jesus every once in a while. Amen? Anybody else hate stubbing your toe? Does anyone in here ever intentionally try and find the corner of the bed frame in the middle of the night? Right between the big toe and the next toe? Nobody intentionally does that. You know the bed's there. You know it has metal legs. And you know it hurts like, all get out. But maybe you wake up and you're dozing a little bit. You're not paying attention. If you're like me, you're stepping over an 80-pound chocolate Labrador. And wham! And you say something like, Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Thank you for my now ruined night or my toe throbs. No. No, you may say something like, "Mm." You can interpret that however you want. You didn't wake up intending to say something that's inappropriate. But there in the dark recesses of your once foul existence, there exist some words that normally are suppressed. Like how I said that? Trying to keep you from feeling guilty. You you, you see, and all of a sudden, it's not right. That doesn't mean you don't love the Lord. That means that you're not fully in God's kingdom yet where there is no capacity for you to sin you still have a sin nature and you are being transformed and being renewed and being changed every single day until you go home but you're still all in that doesn't cause you to walk away from Jesus well I can't believe it, I stubbed my toe, I'm out of here I am not serving God anymore and yet some people are like that I didn't get what I want God didn't do what I told him to do. This thing happened to me. That thing happened to me. That is a person who's not all in. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. Of course we struggle. We all struggle. I struggle. I'm not perfect, and neither are any of you. But we are all in, and I don't have a foreign god. I don't have anything else I worship but the Lord. I have things I like to do occasionally. God's seen it very convenient to make me not as good a golfer as I once was. Because I used to really love golf. Enough that I skipped church on Sundays to go love golf. Be up at 5 o'clock in the morning, go play a round of golf. And then God humbled my golf game and showed me that it was not a God worthy of following. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, that's just silly. If you'll let me play good when I'm not playing on Sunday, that'd be nice, so I'm not going to play on Sunday. And honestly, I haven't played on Sunday in probably close to 30 years. But the fact of the matter is, there was a point in time when I did. Church, golf, app, golf. chose to go play golf was my God for a while along with it was a cooler of beers well you know it's, it's 11 it's almost noon why do I share that with you because that's how easy it can happen Something in your life that maybe you're good at, maybe you enjoy, started out as something good, all of a sudden becomes a false God. And then you start worshiping at that church. He wants total devotion. Look at verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God, he's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. And is he saying that God won't forgive in the sense that we think of he won't forgive? No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying if you willingly go serve another God, there's no forgiveness for willing sin. You you can't just do whatever you want and expect God to accept it. He wants total devotion. Will he in an eternal sense forgive you? But you'll bear the consequences of it. That's what he's saying. He says, you'll be chastened. It'll be rough. It'll be hard. For if you forsake the Lord to serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you after he's done good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we'll serve the Lord. And so Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve Him. And they said, we are witnesses. Nobody forced them into committing their lives to God. They willingly said, look, we understand the consequences. Because at this time, they didn't have the age of grace, amen? They're walking around under the law. The penalty of the law could have been death for certain. To worship a false god was death. Adultery, death. Murdering someone else, death. Choose to stay whom you're going to serve. And then you better do it. Praise God that we're in the age of grace. But now therefore, he said, notice what he says to him: Put away the foreign gods which are among you. And incline your heart to the God of Israel. Think about it for a second. All he's doing is simply telling them what they already knew through the Ten Commandments. Amen? Wasn't that difficult? Wasn't a new set of laws? Wasn't even a complex rendering of those laws? He's saying, look, just do what's right. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and His voice we will obey. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and made them... A statue and an ordinance in Shechem. And then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. It's largely believed that as he did these things, literally he wrote down these things and they were carried around with the actual Ten Commandments. Like, look, we made a covenant. In those days, a covenant was normally placed over the defining pieces of the covenant you would make a covenant on a piece of paper there would be a piece that would be nailed to your doorpost and to the other person's doorpost of their home and it had on it all of the things that you agreed to and when the covenant was completed they were brought together and they were nailed in one place and what joshua is saying is, look today we're nailing this together in one place Here's what you promised to do for God. This is what God said He would do for you. This is what He demands of you. You're signing it. It's done. And just to make sure you don't miss it, we're going to build an altar to the Lord. And so he took a large stone and he set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us. For as it is heard all of the words which the Lord spoke to us, it shall be therefore witness to you. And he's not saying that the rock had ears. He's simply saying that this stone is a representation of the Lord himself. You made this declaration before the Lord. This rock is going to stand here, and every time you walk by that rock, you're going to remember, I made a commitment to the Lord. Family of God, can I tell you that's one of the very important reasons that we go to church? because you then have accountability to people that you know. You have made commitments before them that you will walk this way, you'll live this way, you'll do these things, you will adhere to the word, you'll raise your children in the Lord, you'll do all these things. You have said that in front of witnesses, and they stand before you. Can I also say that that's a good reason why many people stop coming to church, because they remember those commitments, and because they don't want to keep the commitments, they leave church. And they do their own thing. And they wonder why their life falls apart. They wonder why it all goes haywire. And so Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. He said, we don't want you to deny the Lord. So there's the stone. Now notice it was near the tabernacle. These are Jews, amen? It's near the tabernacle. So every time they came to the tabernacle, which was always set in the middle of the camp of the Israelites, amen? So they're here at Shechem. This is the land of, of, of Joseph. So this is the tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim. It's in the middle. There it is. Every time they went to church, there was the promise. And it wasn't meant to bum them out. It was meant to remind them, you made a commitment to God. Another example? Right there what your wedding band is you made a commitment not to Jeff not to Calvary Chapel not to San Bernardino County or the state of California or the United States of America that's a commitment to God when I do a wedding I'm standing in for God you make those vows before God and so when you look at your wedding ring I told God God That I would be faithful. I told God that forever, and so long as my spouse is alive, I will do what he asked me to do. It's a remembrance to us. And in essence, Israel was actually married to God. He wasn't going to tolerate a rival. He wasn't going to tolerate some other lover coming into the house, is the basic way to look at it. He's not going to tolerate it. Just as a husband and wife are faithful in their marriage vows, so God's people are supposed to be faithful to God. He's our God. We're his people. And basically what he says is, look, you'll lose your blessings if you don't keep your part of the deal. Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us of the same thing. Those whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If he doesn't chasten you, you're not actually one of his kids. I don't particularly like that part. Probably some of you don't either. But he goes on to say, but what father does not chasten his own children? Amen? I can tell you as a dad, there have been times when I've had to chasten my children. It's very infrequent, quite frankly. My boys are pretty good guys. And now they can beat me up, so I don't, you know, don't mess with them as much. But, but I can tell you, I've chastened my children. It's like, no, this is not acceptable, and you will not do this. I brought you into the world, I'll take you out. It's like Bill Cosby said. But that's actually true for God. He did bring you into this world, and he can take you out. And depending on how far you go in those things, God might just do that. And I've seen God do that very thing. I know people personally that I believe the Lord has taken off of this planet to spare the rest of us from their evil. This is the ninth, the final memorial here in the book of Joshua. And I want to just say something here, and I don't want to throw anybody off the cliff, but the bottom line is, is when you look at these nine piles of stones... You could be tempted to get very religious and just simply go hunt up the piles of stones and go there. Well, i got to go back to the pile of stones. We call that religion. That's not relationship. Piles of stones can be good. Traditions can be good. But they can also be a hindrance because then they become a substitute for devotion. And pretty soon you're not actually devoted to God. You're just going back to the piles of stones to... Try and get square with the big guy. Probably all of you know people that are like that. The only time they go to church is Christmas and Easter and whenever they've really messed up. Amen? You know people like that? I do. I know a bunch of people like that, in fact. They show up at church every time something drastic has happened in their life, 99, 9 tenths percent of the time, because they themselves have been in sin. And they come running right back to the pile of stones. God, I don't know what happened. That's a lack of devotion. That's a lack of serving God. You never get that far away if you don't ever get that far away. You don't end up wandering in the wilderness if you don't wander in the wilderness. Nobody makes us wander in the wilderness. There is no temptation but that which is such and common to man, that in it there's a way of escape. Amen? There's nothing on this earth that's so powerful that you can't overcome it in Christ Jesus. The question is, who you you it? Who do you have devotion to? And so this warning is really for us as well. And I think Joshua does this for a very important reason. Because... Piles of rocks can become a substitute for real relationship and real repentance and real worship. Pretty soon we're just going and doing our religious thing. And I want to be careful here. I'm not trying to bash uh, any particular group of people. But I know an awful lot of Catholics who carry around a crucifix or they carry around a rosary beads on their rear-view mirror or a Mary... Stuck on their dash to try and pre-cover their sin. I've had them tell me that. Yeah, I used to carry my rosary around. Every time I'd do something wrong, I'd just say a couple of Hail Marys. I was all good to go. It don't work that way. We'd like it to sometimes, amen? You know, if there was just like some magic thing you could do. That's not a real relationship. That's religion. That's us trying to figure out what pile of rocks we need to go to to get right. That's not devotion. And that's not serving the Lord. That is an obligation, isn't it? Look at it. Isn't that what that is? That's fulfilling your religious obligation. I know I need to go do this because I did that. That's an obligation. That's not what God wants. He wants us to come running to Him when we mess up because we love Him and we don't want to have our fellowship broken with Him. I don't want God to have anything between me and Him. I don't run because I'm in trouble. I run because He loves me. I don't want anything between the two of us. That's relational. So be careful about the piles of stones. All religious traditions, I believe, can be helpful or they can be hurtful at times. I know people that, you know, only want to come on Communion Sunday. Communion Sunday is a wonderful thing. One of the reasons I actually mix it up at this church is because I don't like people getting in great, well, it's going to be the first Sunday. Now, a lot of times we do do it on the first Sunday. But don't count on it. Because I'll mess with you. (laughs) Just to keep you guessing. Because I don't want you getting religious. I want you relational. Because that's what God wants. This book ends with three burials. Joshua here is going to die at 110 years old. And he will have served the Lord with utter devotion the whole time. You're going to see Eliezer, the high priest, also buried. You're going to see the bones of Joseph buried in Shechem in a plot of ground that Jacob had bought bought from Hamar. Those, Those things will occupy these last verses. And I think it's fitting that a great ancestor gets buried in a great place. But I think it's also interesting that we're going to note that Joshua does not appoint a successor. He doesn't name anybody. He doesn't say so and so's taken over. He's going to mention a group of people, and I believe I know why. The elders that had served Joshua, guided the nation, had been there with Joshua through thick and thin. Many of them are still alive. But what really happens here at the end of this book picks up in the book of Judges, which is the next book. And if you want to turn there to the second chapter of the book of Judges, and we'll pick up just a few verses And then what we will read next as we finish the chapter will make sense to you. Verse 10 in Judges chapter 2. And when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers. That's a nice way of saying when every last one of those guys that was with Joshua and Eliezer croaked. Dropped over dead as doornails. Gone worm food. We don't get gathered together with their fathers, you know. That, what was that like—a family meeting somewhere? Another generation rose after them, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which He had done in Israel. Is that not the saddest thing? After what we just heard, we'll serve the Lord. We're all going to serve the Lord. Remember the gigantic "We'll serve the Lord" party. Can I tell you they had a lack of devotion? And their legacy proved it. And then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. You get it? You see, when you read that, that devotion was not devotion at all. That was simply a fine sermon delivered, and people didn't believe a word of it in their hearts. It wasn't here. It was here. They heard with these, not this. They weren't listening with their heart. They were listening with simply their ears. it seems right. It's just rational. There are a lot of people who try and have a rational relationship with God. Can I remind you that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and without faith is it impossible to please God? You can't just have a rational relationship with God you have to have a faith devotion to God. It has to be beyond your head. It must be your heart. And it's not contrived, and it's not just simply the best of all scenarios. I've had people tell me that they believe in God because it it just makes sense. Now, in some ways... We have a reason for the hope that lies within us. And there are plenty of intellectual reasons for us to have our faith bolstered. But we believe by faith, and we have devotion to God apart from our mental understanding. If you don't, then I would say to you, you're not actually devoted to God. You're just simply intellectually convinced. And that's not faith. You see, because the people of Joshua's generation failed to keep that promise, they failed to teach their children, and they failed to teach their grandchildren. Within one generation of Joshua's departure, they were back to their old selves. That's why this question must be answered by each of us. As for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. We will worship the Lord. We will have devotion to the Lord. We will leave a legacy of that devotion in this world. Because if there is not a legacy of devotion, one must question oneself as to whether there was much devotion to the Lord. Our families should be an expression of devotion to the Lord. Our community should then be an expression of our devotion to the Lord. Our city, our state, our world should be an example of our devotion to the Lord. Now, do we have full control over that? Of course not. But I can tell you when there's been deep devotion to the Lord. Because the legacy lasts. God kept his promise. He chastened the people. He brought the northern kingdom of Assyria. He brought Babylon. He would bring the diaspora. He would scatter the people all over the earth. He would allow something as horrible as the Holocaust. All to say one thing. Look, the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. One day I'm going to keep my promises, but I want you to be devoted. I want you to be faithful. I want you to choose who you're going to serve. Verse 29, as we wrap this up. And now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of the inheritance of Tenma, at Sarah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. You see, that generation didn't do a very good job of passing on a legacy. Because one generation later, it was gone. They stopped standing for what's right. They stopped saying, Look, son, you can't marry an Amorite woman. Daughter, I don't want you going and hanging out with the Moabite girls. They didn't do the hard things. They didn't say the things that need to be said. They didn't stand where they needed to stand. They waffled. And thereby, they gave the impression to the next generation that their walk with the Lord didn't matter. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of the land of Egypt, they burned at Shechem. And the plot of ground, which Jacob had brought for the sons, they buried at Shechem rather, they brought from the sons of Hamor, from the father of Shechem, for one hundred pieces of silver, which had become an inheritance to the children of Joseph. And then Eliezer, the son of Aaron, also died, and they buried him on a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. What an epitaph. What an epitaph. Joseph died being a hundred years old. And at least his generation followed the Lord. It was they that didn't do a good job of passing it along. Joseph did a great job. As if. Look at this chapter, and as you finish up, sometimes I get asked about the bones of Joseph. Why? Well, if you know your Bible, Genesis chapter 50, Joshua promised that he would carry those bones. Joshua was absolutely devoted to the Lord, even down to the smallest of details, of lugging a box of bones around for all those years in the wilderness, all those years in battle and then finally putting them to rest exactly where he said he would do with God. That's a man who keeps his word before the Lord. And I pray that we grow up in our walks with the Lord to be that devoted, and that the fruit of that is a legacy of devotion to the Lord. That our kids, Proverbs 31 says for you ladies, that your children might rise up and call you blessed that we would be known, that our epitaph would be, and Jeff served the Lord. I don't care if there's anything else. I don't care at my memorial service if the only thing that's said is he loved God. I'm good. That's it. These guys were buried. They were gone. You can't do anything after you're dead. Amen? you got to do it while you're still alive. And I want to really encourage you. He left those elders to carry on, and they did. But right after that, it kind of gives you a picture. How devoted were they? And it appears not too. Don't let it die with you. One of the reasons I grieve for our country. We can fight all the wars that have ever been fought. But if we lose the fight for the souls of the people in this nation, we've actually lost the war. If you do good for your neighbors, and they do good for you, but they don't know Jesus, we missed it. Now again, everyone stands and falls, this is what they do with the truth. But we need to preach the truth. We need to teach the truth. We need to live the truth. We need to have a legacy of serving the Lord with great devotion. So my question as we began, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? What kind of family legacy will you leave? I asked myself the question, what legacy will I leave? Am I doing everything? Am I doing all that the Lord has for me? Am I so devoted to the Lord that he can still lead and guide and direct? I was thinking that last week I was just pondering my life of serving the Lord. I'm going on 30 years now. But maybe there's still mountains to climb. Maybe for me. I, you know, I'm not 85 years old yet, so I haven't reached Joshua's ripe old age when he was still battling. I'm sure not 110. Caleb was still going, give me some giants, give me some mountains. Amen? So I asked that question for myself. Do I still have that zeal? Do we still have that zeal? Will we still maybe take on a hard battle every once in a while? Will we go find another mountain to climb? And I asked the question of myself, what kind of legacy will this church leave? I started thinking of this for me being Joshua and you all being the elders. Well, what kind of legacy are we going to leave? Now, well, it's probably a stretch, certainly with me being a Joshua. But what kind of legacy are we going to leave? And I pray that that answer is a legacy of devotion to the Lord. That if nobody knows anything about us, that they know that we were devoted to, worshipped, and served the Lord all of the days of our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Lord, it is certainly challenging. It was challenging to me as I read it. It's challenging to us because it does kind of set the table straight, Lord. It causes us to look introspectively at our own lives. And we pray that you would just speak to us. Help us to know which giants are ours to slay, which mountains are ours to climb. Lord, which person needs the truth? Which one of our children needs that extra touch? God, which one of us here tonight might have that that next high calling, Lord, in you to go out and conquer this world for our King? God, the next Billy Graham or D.L. Moody or Chuck Smith might be in this room. God, we don't know how long you'll tarry. But we know until you come, we have mountains to climb and giants to slay, devotion to give. And Lord, we want to do that with all of it, all that's within us, Lord, every bit of us. And so we pray you'd strengthen us to that end, that you'd encourage us, grow us up in our faith, help us to walk with you in sincerity and in truth. And Lord, may we like the children of Israel. May we like Joseph himself. May we like Joshua himself and Eleazar himself and Moses himself and Deborah herself. Lord, all of them declared, for me, Lord, for our homes, we will serve the Lord. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. We ask all this in the blessed name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. One more book down. We're still going. We're going to keep going until the Lord Jesus comes and gets us. Amen? All right. Go be devoted to the Lord.